Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. And if you are visiting with us, if you're a guest, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are with us this morning. And um, I said this last week, and I'll say it again, it is uh, good for us to be together. Um, you know, being away from one another, it, it's, it's easy when we establish patterns and rhythms in our lives that we just kind of take those things for granted, that they become normal and and we just assume that they'll always be there, but then when you lose something, you, you realize how, how wonderful it is. And so, uh, so it is good, again, to see y'all, and, uh, and I hope that, that we would not take this for granted, but that we would uh, have thankful hearts to the Lord that he allows us to gather as his people to sing and to pray and to come to his word. And the portion of his word that we're going to be looking at this morning is from Psalm 29, Psalm 29. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 29 as uh, we're going through various psalms this summer. This is a psalm of David, um, and I encourage you to have God's word open. If you don't have a Bible, uh, in just a moment, the words are going to be displayed on the screens in front of you. You can follow along there. Now, if you've, been, uh, if you've been around the church for any length of time, if you've read through your Bible, if you've, um, if you've been to uh, church and heard many sermons, then at some point or another, you've probably heard many words, many sermons, read many verses that talk about our words, about what our words are supposed to be like, that as God's people, our words are to be uh, seasoned with salt. They're supposed to be full of truth, full of grace, that our words are supposed to exemplify wisdom, and that we are in need of God's help to direct our words, to direct our speech. God's word talks about this throughout scripture. The Proverbs are full of descriptions of what our language is supposed to be. The New Testament books of First uh, Peter and James talk about what our words are to be, and even the Ten Commandments, right? The Ninth Commandment talks about our language and how our words are supposed to reflect the truth about others. And it's actually that, uh, that commandment that is uh, used most often of the Ten Commandments in the Psalter. The Psalms themselves are concerned with our words. And so we, we come across this in countless places. And, and this Psalm is concerned with words as well. But our attention isn't to our words, isn't to our voice, but David's focus is on the Lord's, on his voice, on his words. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and read Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and ask that as we come to it now, that you would open our eyes and that you would soften our hearts. You would enlighten our minds and equip our hands so that we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers of it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work and move, that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to please you. For you are our God and our King, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you might know the name Michael Lewis. Uh, Michael Lewis is a a famous sports writer. Uh, You might know him not because of his articles or because of the way that he writes about various sports like baseball or basketball or football. You might know him because of two of his books that have uh, kind of disseminated through popular culture. The books The Blind Side and and, uh, Moneyball, these books that were made into movies. Maybe you're familiar with Michael Lewis because of these works, but, but you might also be familiar with Michael Lewis because of a podcast that he does called Against the Rules. This is a podcast I like to listen to in which Michael Lewis talks about different aspects that we often associate with sports, but have have started to go into the broader culture. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so anyway, so he has this podcast against the rules. and, And in the second season of this podcast, he's focusing on the rise of coaches of coaching, and not just coaching within the realm of sports, not just the guy who's down by third, flashing signs to the batter, or the guy at the end of the, the, uh, the, the lineup yelling at the players on the, co- on the court. No, he's talking about coaching in the broader culture, you know, the rise of coaches. Like, we have life coaches, right, to tell us how we're supposed to live. And we have coaches that teach us how to prepare for tests. And we have coaches who teach us how to talk to one another, to relate to one another. In fact, I knew a woman in St. Louis who was a, a, a coach to lawyers. She was hired by law firms to go and to meet with young lawyers to teach them how to interact with clients and how to relate to them and how to talk to them and, and these sorts of things. So we have these coaches that are in all these areas of life. And this is what he's talking about. But before he gets to those coaches, he sets the whole season up by talking about one coach that was pretty influential in his life. It was his high school baseball coach. See, Michael Lewis played high school baseball at a private school in New Orleans, a state championship team. And his freshman year, Michael Lewis, by his own admission, was one of those freshmen that was kind of chubby, kind of lanky, kind of one of those kids that hadn't grown into his body yet. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen them right? And maybe some of us were them, right? The, his muscles hadn't developed, and, and he was just a freshman on the state championship team, and yet when the game was on the line, there was a man on third and one out. It was he, this freshman pitcher, that was called on, and so he went out to the mound, and the other team took one look at Michael Lewis, this freshman who was supposed to end the game, and the other team started laughing. They started cheering. They started high-fiving one another because they were sure that they were going to face this pitcher who was going to blow the game, not win the game. Lewis said that even the fans were a little nervous. They were concerned when they saw him go out to the mound. But as he stood on the mound... And as he saw the other team high-fiving, as he saw the nervousness in the crowd, his coach, who was a retired uh, minor league catcher, 
who was a multi-sport athlete in college who competed against Pete Maravich in basketball, who knew something about competition. He stared at Lewis with an intense glare. And he put the ball in his glove and he laid his hand on his shoulder and he said, pick him off third and strike him out. Now, Lewis was this little freshman who had never been in a game like this before. And there was his coach with great intensity and with great encouragement. And Lewis said, looking back on that, that those words and that stare and the voice of his coach said to him, there's no one else I'd rather have in this moment than you. By a side note, Lewis picked the man off third, and he struck the batter out. And he said, looking back in that moment, on that time with his coach, in the stare that the coach gave him, in the words that he pronounced over him, that Lewis, in that moment, was given a new identity. That's the exact word that he used in his podcast. I was given a new identity. He was no longer this chubby little freshman pitcher who was going to blow the game. He was the one who was going to win the game. The words of that coach, the words that were spoken over him, the voice of his coach had great power. Had great power. And we know this is to be true, don't we? That the words that we speak or that are spoken to us, that, that they have power. Words have power to destroy or to encourage. Words have the power to malign or to build up. Words have power. But as powerful as our words are, as powerful as the voices of the world are, they are nothing compared to the power of the Lord's voice. And that's the emphasis that David has in this psalm. In verses 3 through 9 of our psalm, seven times David speaks of the voice of the Lord. That refrain is repeated again and again. Seven times, the voice of the Lord. You see, David is focusing our attention on God's voice, on God's words, because it is God's word that has power unlike any other word. It is, vo- it is his voice that has power unlike any other voice. And what David tells us about God's voice is that it is the power over creation. We see it in verses 3 and 4. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, glor- the God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So you hear David is describing God's voice like a mighty storm. And we can picture it in our mind's eyes, can't we? Standing on a beach, looking out over the ocean. We were just at the beach a few days ago. And storms would roll in and you'd look out many, many miles away and you would see darkness. You could even start to hear or feel the thunder. You could feel the power approaching. The storm is coming. And you know that it's coming. The God of glory, David says, thunders. He's like a storm that's coming. But this storm, this power doesn't remain out in sea, but instead it makes landfall and it covers from north to south. That's what David says when he speaks of Lebanon and Kadesh. Lebanon was a part of the territory that was in the north and Kadesh was in the south. 
And so what David is telling us is that the farthest to the north and, and the deepest, remotest wilderness to the south and everything in between is covered by God's voice. It's a poetic way of saying that there is nowhere that is outside of God's power. That everything from north to south and east and west, it is covered by the Lord. That his voice is powerful. His voice, his word, it shatters cedars, David says. That's how powerful it is, cedars. These, these trees that would stand upwards of 90 feet tall and be 40 feet in girth. And it would have taken many men to bring one down. And yet, by God's very word, they shatter. They splinter. Like Bo Jackson breaking a bat over his knee, all God has to say is a little word. And they explode. His voice thunders over the waters. His voice shatters the cedars. His voice makes the land jump. We hear it in verse 5. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Syrian is another word for Mount Hermon. And so what David is telling us is that when God speaks, the power of his voice is such that the land itself shakes. It jumps and the mountains quake and the ground is like the calf or the ox that has been startled and it bolts because God speaks over it. What David is wanting us to see is God's power over creation. But this power over creation isn't just in this psalm. We see it throughout scripture. Right on the very first pages of the Bible, we hear how God made the heavens and the earth and all that they contain. He spoke. Like, we, we read, we've read Genesis so frequently that that doesn't startle us, that that doesn't shock us, that, that that doesn't surprise us. But think about that. All God did was say, let there be light. And there was the sun. He said, let there be land and, and water, and there were oceans and seas and rivers. All he said was, let there be animals in the air. And the animals that, that stomp across the ground, and, and there were the deer, and the ox, and winged creatures in the sky. And all he did was speak. Y'all, that is amazing. That's amazing. That is the power that God has. We see it in the very first pages of Scripture, but we also see it in the first pages of the New Testament, how God is the Lord over his creation, how he has power over his creation, because what was it that pointed the way to where the Christ would be born? It was a star. God used his very creation to declare that his son was coming. Right? And Jesus, when he had grown and when he was an adult and when he sat in a boat in the midst of a storming water, all he said was, hush, be quiet. And the storm calmed. And when Jesus died and was crucified, the sky turned dark and the ground itself quaked. God's power is over his world, over his creation. He speaks and the creation skips. David is inviting us to see not only the darkness of the clouds and the quake of the thunder and the whirl of the wind, but that these things point to the power of God. And so kids, this week, this week it's supposed to rain. I don't know how, how uh, strong the storms will be 
Maybe they will be mighty. Maybe, maybe the sky will turn dark and maybe the sky will fill with thunder and lightning and your whole house will shake in the middle of the night and you'll look out your window and see trees bending from the winds. And when you see those things, kids, know that as powerful as those whirling winds are and as powerful as the thunder is and as powerful as the storm is, God's word is even more powerful. That that is nothing in compared to the power of the Lord. Because his voice is over creation. He is the one who sends the wind whirling and the quake. He's the one who quakes the earth with thunder and the one who darkens the sky. And so we glory in him. We stand in awe of him. Of his power and his might. His power over creation, but, but also his power over the nations. We see his power over the nations, a power that is evident by the way that David describes the Lord. In verse 3, David says that the God of glory thunders. And in verse 7, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. This language, flashing forth the flames of fire, is a clear allusion to lightning. And so what David is saying is that the Lord is the one who sends thunder and lightning. Now, this is significant for the people of God because of where they were and who they were surrounded by. You see, they were surrounded by Canaanites, people from Canaan, and, and Canaanites worshipped other gods. They didn't worship Yahweh the Lord. They worshipped Baal, and Baal was the weather god of the Canaanites. Baal was the god who was associated with with storms and with thunder and with lightning. And when David says that it is God who thunders and it is God who sends forth flames of fire, what he is saying is that he is the true God, that he is greater than Baal, that he has more power than Baal, that he is the one who rules over even Baal. That is what David is telling us. That this God that the people would have been inclined to turn to, and we know from the historical narratives that they were inclined to, that he is nothing compared to the Lord. David is telling us that the Lord is a warrior greater than Baal. And so as the people would hear this psalm, and as they would sing it, and as they would pray these words, they'd be reminding themselves that Baal isn't the one that they are to serve, but Yahweh is. That he is the Lord over the nations. But not just over Canaan and Baal, but over all the nations. Look what David says in verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Now we've heard that language of being enthroned. We heard it just a week ago. That God is enthroned in the heavens. That he rules over all the nations. But now David says he's enthroned over the flood. Now, what's interesting is that this is the only time in the Hebrew Bible in which this Hebrew word that we translate flood is used other than in Genesis. So every other time, <clears throat> excuse me, in other than chapter 29 of the Psalms and Genesis, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> sorry about that. Any other time that we come across this word flood, other than in Psalm 29 or in Genesis, it's a different Hebrew word. But in Genesis, when it's referring to the flood, and here in Psalm 29, it's the same Hebrew word. And so, so David is invoking the flood. 
the flood. And what do we know about this flood? Well, it was an event of judgment, right? It was a way in which God judged the nations that were in rebellion against him. And so what we're supposed to see is that David is pointing us to the fact of God's kingship and his power, but his power and his kingship isn't localized, meaning it's not just over Israel or over Canaan, but it's over the entire world where the flood had spread, that God is enthroned over that, that he is the only king over the nations. And just to ensure that there's no confusion about what God David is talking about, He uses God's divine name 18 times in this passage. 18 times in 11 verses, he uses the word Yahweh. Yahweh, we see it in verse 1, ascribe to the Lord. And again, ascribe to the Lord. In verse 2, ascribe to the Lord, worship the Lord. Every time, if you look closely where it says Lord, it's in lower cases, right? Lower all caps, small caps. And every time we see in the Old Testament that it's translated that way, we know that that's a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, God's divine, covenantal, relational name. David uses it 18 times because Yahweh is the one who has power over the nations, because Yahweh is the Lord. And we hear something similar to that in the New Testament. But instead of it saying Yahweh is the Lord, what we hear is Jesus is Lord. And the New Testament writers, they would invoke that phrase, Jesus is Lord, not as a way of saying that Jesus is greater than Baal, though he was, but as a way of saying that Jesus is greater than Caesar. Caesar isn't Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Baal isn't Lord, but Yahweh is Lord. And y'all, as we read these words and as we say them to one another and as we sing them aloud, we too are declaring that the only Lord is not Baal and it isn't Caesar and it isn't a president and it's not even ourselves. We are not the Lord of our lives. Jesus is. He is the only Lord over our lives. He is the one with power over the nations. And y'all, we need to remember this. I need to remember this. We need to remember this because we hear the voices of our culture that are trying to tell us and trying to inform and trying to encourage us to take on different kinds of lords. Tell us about our identity and how we should view ourselves and how we should view the world. Right? We hear those voices in our culture, but, but we also hear the voices in our own minds and in our own hearts. Tell us about our own autonomy our own rights, our own privileges, the the things that we should be allowed to do or not allowed to do, right? We hear all these voices coming from outside and within, and what we need to hear again and again and again is that Jesus is Lord, that Yahweh is the king, that he is the Lord over the nations, and he has power over Canaan and over Israel and over me and over you. He is the one who has power over the nations. And he has power over creation. And he is the one who has the power that brings peace. That's how the psalm concludes. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The tense of these verbs, give and bless, we, we could render the verse, the Lord will give strength to his people. And the Lord will bless his people with peace. 
You see, God's power is shown not just in the fact that he has authority over the nations, but in the fact that he cares and protects his people. I mean, think about the flood. The flood was not just an event of judgment, but the flood was also an event of salvation. For Noah and his family, for Noah and his family, they were carried by God through the waters, and they were spared from destruction, and they were protected from the flood and were given peace. But the flood points to another event of even greater salvation, where God's judgment against sin and wickedness was placed on his son. And when Jesus took the power of God's judgment upon himself, he brings his people peace. And so you all think about it this way, the the language, the Lord will bless his people with peace. The psalm began with the storm rising, but it ends with this declaration that is like a rainbow over the entire psalm. The rainbow that appears in the sky following the darkness and power of the storm. A rainbow that tells us that God's power has been used to bring us peace. And so as we hear God's voice ringing with power over the creation and over the nation and bringing us peace, how do we respond? Will we respond with submission? We respond with worship. That's what David said in verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord, glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. He's saying rise up with awe and wonder. Let us join our voices together and sing glory. Glory to the one enthroned in the heavens. And not just joining our voices together, but David encourages us to join our voices with the heavenly host. Did you see it in verse 1? It's not just people that proclaim glory, but it's even the angels in heaven. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And so, y'all, when we see who God is and what he has done, we can't help but join our voices with angelic song, and sing of God's power, the power of his voice over creation and over the nations, and the power that brings us peace. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the peace that you have brought to your people. And we thank you that you have used in your power, the power over your world and over the nations, you have used that power to bring us peace. And so we pray that as your people, we would live in light of the peace that you have brought, that we would be ambassadors of your grace, that we would be submitters to your will, and that we would follow you in all our ways and for all of our days. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen.